I find that um, these days a lot of the themes for the talks that I that I have been going for have um, they've all been very much alive in just my consciousness, my practice, or my life, um, and this is no exception. Uh, I think this one might be born out of uh, being a parent. You know, there's a lot of lessons, deep Dharma lessons you learn when you have a child, whether it's uh, patience, um, learning to let go and fall into a, a place of warmth and acceptance. Uh, unconditional love, those moments of really touching into those, that feeling of unconditional love and compassion. Um, and then this touching into this illusion of control is one that I think that um, those who are parents, um, and I, we all get to touch into this, but I, I'm finding that as a parent, I, I'm, I'm it's really in my face. Like this is one of those things that keeps showing up that I'm really not in as much control as I want to be. And then when I get to see that and work with that and bring it into a dharmic lens, uh, I start to see just how that is, um, how I'm understanding it in all aspects of, of life and then in conversation with with other people who are um, trying to look through a dharmic lens at their life, that this this element of control is often a theme that comes up. And I've been hearing a lot about it lately um, from people I've been in conversation with. And um, uh, just as an experiment, I want to do an experiment with you. I want you to take a moment to go inward in whatever form that, that takes and reflect on your life as a whole. Thinking about the different aspects of your life, whether it's your health or your relationships or you need more volume. Oh, it's too loud. Thanks. Thanks. Or um, your work, uh, different aspects of your life. And think about how much control do you really have over your life. Think about it. And then I'm just going to ask you to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. So one being I like really low, not maybe not zero control, but really low control over over your life. Um, ten being I'm in complete control here, <laughs> and then just you know this is an estimate. But then show me with your with your hands. You know what do you think? There's no right answer here really, but show me with your hands. What do you think your level of control? is over your life. Let's see what you think. I've seen five. I see a zero. <laughs> four, five, six. Uh-huh. Lots of fours, sixes, seven, uh-huh. zero, <laughs> three. 
Yeah, three. <laughs> yeah, maybe it should have been zero to ten, right? <laughs> okay. Okay, so, all right. Now, think about and be really honest those moments where maybe you're realizing you're not in so much control and what do you believe, how much control do you believe you you need to have your life be just right and to have all the happiness that you deserve and want? Now, we'll do zero to ten here. <laughs> How much control do you think you need to gain to have that happen? Let's just see what those numbers look like. No idea. Well, you, you'll just guess. You're, we're, we're just playing a game here to make a point. <laughs> yeah, but also it's nice to reflect and be honest. Like when you're in those moments of, uh-huh, yeah, so eight and... I see five, six, so actually not that far from sevens, lots of sevens, some zeros in there, five, uh-huh, yeah, nine, yeah, okay. So what I did notice, not a huge range difference, so maybe the Dharma is, is, uh, is flowing through you right now, <laughs> uh, but maybe a little bit higher than, than what you think you have right now. And so if that's true, if your number was higher the second time than your first, it, it points to something. It points to this idea, this, this illusion that we get trapped in, that if only we were in more control, if only we could uh, make this just the way we think it should go, if we could only be that person we we think we should be, uh, if we can make all the people around us, especially our loved ones, to be the way we think they should be, then then they'll be so much more happier, and there'll be so much more joy in in our lives, and things will be okay. And um, even if in this moment. There's an acknowledgement of, well, that, you know, that, that can't really be right. We often subscribe in some way to that belief that um, if only we were in just a little bit more control. And we work hard to be in more control of our lives. And I want to explore this a little bit because it ties directly back to um, the Four Noble Truths and the truths of, of suffering, of dukkha, and the cause of dukkha. Dukkha is a Pali word. We talk about it a lot here. Um, sometimes it's translated as suffering. Sometimes it's unsatisfactoriness. I sometimes talk about it as this feeling of friction in our lives, when we're, we're not in the flow with things, we're not in alignment somehow, it's like we're fighting against what really is happening, what's really here. Uh, the Buddha talked about it as craving, um, as, as clinging um, onto something that, that isn't there. And, and part of that clinging, I think some of what we are holding on to 
is this illusion of control. I think this comes into, this shows itself in many different forms. Sometimes it's very subtle. Um, Maybe it's just the way that we structure our lives. Um, Maybe it's within our expectations of ourselves or others. Um, And then other times it takes a much larger form. We end up coming face-to-face with impermanence in ways that um, we realize how much control we thought we had and then we're completely out of control. We're in some kind of situation where there's nothing we can actually do and it's very humbling and sometimes scary. Sometimes it can be a relief when we really when we're able to let go into this is what's happening and there's nothing I can do about it. So our relationship with this is um, actually very much what we're cultivating through the practice, uh, through the Dharma, is understanding this relationship we have with control. We're not completely out of control. We, we have a relative range of choices. Um, there's karma, this... Um, uh, cause and effect that in, in any moment um, how we uh, uh, how our hearts our minds, our actions, our speech how that plays out in a particular moment has a ripple effect it has an effect on the moments to come and we, we see that um, in a very real way that uh, the, the way that we are in the world has an effect. It does matter. And that we can change, we can change things. We can change the direction of things through our actions, through our mind, uh, the cultivation of our mind. Um, but just how much control we really have, how it's going to play out, how those ripple effects uh, manifest, we don't have control over that. And that's either incredibly relieving, uh, you're off the hook, (laughs) or absolutely terrifying. And for some of us, we go back and forth between the two. I want to read something to you that um, I read recently. This this was... um, published recently through, um, I think it was Lion's Roar. I didn't write it on here, but I think it was Lion's Roar uh, magazine. This is Anam Tutin, who's a local Tibetan teacher um, in Point Richmond. He teaches all over the world, actually, all over the country, all over the world. Uh, And his community um, in 2016, I believe it was, uh, got together and um, purchased land uh, somewhere around Big Sur as, um, with the hopes of creating a wonderful retreat center for, for Anam Tupton to teach at and for, his, um, uh, for the practitioners to come and practice with him. And it was uh, a huge visioning and lots of uh, momentum and, and fundraising and people coming together uh, to make this happen. It took many years. 
Uh, it took uh, finding just the right place. And then they found it. They purchased the land and they started making preparations um, to have this be their retreat center. This was somebody's dream. I imagine Anam Tupton's vision was uh, very strongly in there and then other people collectively around him fulfilling this great dream. Uh, They had caretakers who came and uh, were living on the land and getting it ready. And um, then in 2016, a huge wildfire came through and wiped it out completely. It never, it never came to be, and it was just gone. And so he writes um, a beautiful article called Lessons from a Wildfire, just reflecting on, on this time and, and, um, and what, he, what came from that. So I'll read you a little bit about it. Uh, he says um, that the Taoists have a saying There are 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Though this is a profound and inescapable truth, most of us only truly accept half of it. We welcome the joys, but it's not so accommodating. We're not so accommodating of the sorrows. Sorrow is normal and natural, but we see it as a problem we must solve. The problem isn't sorrow, though. The problem is we don't accept sorrow as a natural part of our lives. We try to escape it to seek its opposite. And our attempts to escape inevitably create suffering. This suffering has nothing to do with our external circumstances. It doesn't matter whether we're healthy or sick, rich or poor, loved or alone. Suffering comes from our chronic psychological restlessness, which resists life as it is. When we get down to it, what we're resisting isn't just sorrow, but change. If we're not resisting the fact that our joy has turned to sorrow, we're resisting the possibility that our joy may someday turn to sorrow. We want our joy to last forever. But we don't have to look far to see that nothing lasts forever. Everything is falling apart. Everything is changing. We can't rely on wealth, friends, or comfort. We can't even rely on our own bodies or minds. Deep down, we know this, which is why we have so many insecure feelings throughout our life. And then it goes on for a little while, and and then I'll just finish with this last paragraph that uh, he writes here. We don't like surprises either. We like to have everything under control, to focus on our lives, to be predictable. But there's no way to make things perfectly predictable. No real security. Security is a grand illusion, Security is a grand illusion. Paradoxically, our desire for security actually makes us insecure. It robs us of our inner fulfillment, joy, and peace. It constricts us, closing our hearts, so we can't experience unconditional love. 
We're so afraid of losing our lives that we never truly live. We allow our desire for security to become a prison. So the full article is on is online if you want to check it out because it goes on further. It's really quite beautiful, and I won't read the whole thing here. But um, it certainly makes the point. Uh, this relationship with our control, our need to be control in control, is very much tied into our um, being in some delusion about impermanence. Uh, that things are always changing, that the very nature of being alive right here in this moment is change. And yet we find ourselves in these circumstances where things aren't going our way, our life isn't going the way we thought it would, or um, we aren't who we, we really wanted to be, or um, our bodies uh, break down, we get sick, maybe in a small way, like with a cold, or in a, in a major way. I was uh, in conversation with a dear friend recently who's in her um, second bout of chemo. And uh, she has a cancer that is terminal. Um, this is what will ultimately, prob- most likely, kill her. Uh, but she's going through treatments to extend her life, and she probably will have... Uh, many more years, um, but this is an aggressive cancer that keeps coming back. And this has become part of her reality. And it's a surprising one, and one that uh, she was saying to me, oh, this is just not what I thought was going to happen. I mean, who does? We don't, we don't write these scripts. We don't um, anticipate uh, uh, what truly ends up happening. I mean, even in reflection of your life, how many of you remember being a child and thinking uh, in those moments where you have it all planned out or you have some idea of what you're going to be when you grow up and then life continues to happen? And m- most likely, uh, my guess is that at least most of you here, if not everyone here, have lived a life that you couldn't have totally predicted, that there's been ups and downs that... Um, uh, have come into into your experience that you were not in control of. You weren't writing the script. And so mostly what we end up having to do is um, we don't have that control of what's about to enter into our reality. But what we are learning to do through this practice is learn how to greet it, how to meet it when it does arrive. And so as Anam Tupton was pointing out, um, even in the wake of a total destruction of this beautiful dream that he and his community had, uh, completely um, gone, burnt to the ground, uh, that there's a way even then to meet this moment and to meet it with wisdom and an understanding that uh, the moment that dream was had, it was already in some way uh, bound to be gone that what we build uh, burns down. And he and his community experienced that very directly. There's, uh, of course, since 2016, we've had incredible wildfires throughout the state and, of course, up in Paradise County and um, uh, 
uh, our town and and just the mass destruction of property and and loss of life up there. People are seeing this in a very real way. And then we all see it in some way. We we lose people unexpectedly. We um, end up having uh, major career changes or um, relationship changes. And we face, we come to, to face just this truth that we really aren't in that much control. And the more that we subscribe to the illusion that we are, or that if only we could be, then we would be happy, we'll continually be chasing after that happiness, and it'll never be within reach. And this is what the Buddha saw and he taught, and it's what we've been practicing, is coming to terms with this this very truth. This past year, I'll, I'll, I'd like to share something uh, personal that's been going on between myself and my family, um, and particularly uh, with my son, who uh, is just amazing and, you know, the love of my life. And um, about a year ago, we started noticing that he was um, socially really inward and kind of shy and, and not interacting as much as we thought he would be and we just kind of thought it was part of his personality and just kind of went along with it and just thought it was, it was, was noticing these funny ways that he would play and, um, and then we started to notice we weren't getting eye contact anymore and then we started to notice that his his vocabulary um, he wasn't using his words like he was and uh, we ended up finding out that um, that he's on the spectrum that he's autistic and received this diagnosis last April and over this past year have been completely transforming our lives to meet his needs which has meant about 20 hours a week of different therapies that um, that I am there with him, and it's become my full-time priority. Um, and it's been this, uh, it's been a heartbreak to, to um, have to, you know, be in that with him. He... He doesn't know. <laughs> I think he is so happy. He's a very happy child. and um, all, Mostly he knows that we go to these places and he gets to play with, with these adults who give him tons of attention and he's just surrounded by love and attention. And So he's fine. <laughs> it's the rest of us that are like, oh my God, what's happening? And it was, it was a real, like, what is happening? It was a, a, a kind of the floor, uh, um, the bottom being dropped out. And the fear that, that arose in the beginning of just not knowing and that feeling of not being in control, that this was something that we couldn't do anything about, this was happening. And so we went through the motions of, of 
real sadness and having to let go, some grieving of, of expectation, and really seeing the dukkha of that kind of grasping on to what we thought it was going to be like. And even, even now, I feel choked up talking about it. It's very real in my reality. And yet, over this period of time of not knowing and not being in control, the only way to go has been to let go into the stream of what is here and what's available and what is happening right now. And it doesn't mean there's no control. It doesn't mean that my friend doesn't do chemo. And it doesn't mean that Anam Tupton's community completely falls apart and gives up completely. And it doesn't mean that me and my partner uh, aren't doing everything that we can possibly do to help our son um, thrive, which he is. He's doing really well, actually. Um, But there is a process of having to let go into the conditions of really being true to what is here in the moment and finding ways to settle into that. And it can be heartbreaking, but there is something in the heartbreak that allows for so much more space. And I, I, I'm sharing this, this personal piece because I don't, you know, I'm not saying this stuff out of my butt. <laughs> you know, this is very um, real and tangible. And uh, in the heartbreak, there's been tremendous opening for, for all of us. Uh, including my son, just his ability now to connect with us. We understand him so much more than we did before, and because of that, there's just so much more connection and happiness there. There's um, a, a well of joy that wasn't there, that wasn't um, we weren't tapping into uh, because of these expectations and this need to make things maybe a certain way or an, uh, a wanting for him to be a certain way. And as we relax into the beauty of him, uh, there is incredible happiness and, and love that's able to flow through there that otherwise would be totally constricted. And so I, I think this is true in everything that we do, that uh, there's a way in which with certain expectations and a, a need for things to be packaged or a need for our life to go in such a direction um, that we can start to um, restrict what uh, is actually possible. We start to cut off all the possibilities. We see this not only just in our life, our day-to-day our interactions and our relationships with people and in our work, our livelihood, um, but in the development of our of dharma within us. If we think that this practice needs to unfold in a particular way, if we have this vision that it should be this way, I should get this by now, or um, I should um, be further along, or they should all know how far along I am, or whatever the trip is. Uh, we're we're limiting. We're li- limiting ourselves. It's within this uh, 
change, this truth of change and impermanence and this lack of control, uh, it's within that that when we're able to settle into it, that incredible transformation begins to grow. It's where all the soil is. You know, it's, it's where all uh, the nutrients is in our spiritual life, is in that place. And so if there's this layer of fear there for you, um, whether it's in rela- related to uh, the control of life, you know, if there's a fear of death related to not being in control of that aspect of your life um, or the lives of the people you love, if it's uh, a fear of, of uh, not being in control of um, money or uh, relationships, your job, if it's related to what's happening in the country, just not feeling like we're in a whole lot of control there, uh, and the outcome, what's going to happen? Well, there can be a lot of fear in that unknown place and and it's and it's there that the illusion exists and we just keep bouncing off of that fear that layer of fear and we we don't go below it we don't look below it that layer of fear it's protective you know it's sweet it's like it's trying to protect us from from something but what it's protecting us from doesn't exist that, that scariness below that, what could possibly, that unknown that could possibly be under there, it doesn't exist. And what's actually under there is truth. Uh, what's actually under there is alignment and actually coming into the natural way of things. We can rest in that place if we can get there. And from there, so much transformation and growth and openness and possibility uh, emerges. So what I'd like to do now is um, give you some time to reflect on this topic of change. And I'd like you to have some time together to reflect on this topic of change. And so um, if you're willing, if you want to stay quiet and just with yourself, you're welcome to. But if you're willing uh, to turn towards uh, maybe three, create a group of three. You know, when we did the voting thing at the beginning, you know, I felt very confident about that. And then the more I reflected on it, I realized, you know, there is a certain degree of control, you know, as, as manifested in my satisfaction with life more than anything else, that there are certain things that I feel have, uh, have are in alignment in some way that you know, kind of give me that sense of control. But I'm not sure how much I really was, you know, there were certain things that were, you know, that job I take and decisions I make and things like that, and and they, they turn out well over the long term, maybe. Um, but certainly other things, you know, we we lost our house in the in the fire in the Oakland Hills a long time ago, so big surprise, uh, especially after I had earthquake the whole house, we were waiting for the earthquake. 
<laughs> so it's that kind of thing, you know. It, it's just it's just a matter of how I'm kind of imagining it, maybe, you know. In the back here. Hi. So, um, in my group, I kind of noticed the the trend of where the suffering comes in is when you would like there to be control, and there isn't. There just isn't. And so it's sort of that back and forth, wanting it to be different than it is, and having some. Yeah, some control, some say over how, how things go. And there's just things on personal levels, national level, you know, with our children that um, it's not going to change because we want it to. It's just going to be as it is. And I know that, <laughs> but I really fight hard <laughs> against it. And the more I fight, the worse it is for myself. And it sounds like for my my buddy's here. So, thank you. Thank you for that. And it's something, I mean, we all know on some level, you know, that these this is true. And because um, we've experienced it. Uh, but there's, there is something very human about our attachment to control that I think is very much in those roots of, of greed, hatred, and delusion. You know, it's um, it's that part of our humanness that just isn't fully awake yet and where it's um, almost hab- habitual and reactionary that we uh, go into these habits of, of wanting something other than it is and then even working really hard, like fighting against against it even if we know in the moment sometimes we can know in the moment this is dukkha like i'm i am causing dukkha right now and we just can't help ourselves <laughs> you know that feeling yeah that's called addiction yeah yeah this is it's it's really in part of our humanness it's also part of our humanness to see it and that's one of the beauties of being a human being is that we can, in fact, see these patterns and awaken to it. That we can um, cultivate something else. But, but even that, like, who gets to cultivate something else? You know, what are the chances that you even stumble upon another possibility? than those greed, hatred, and delusion paths. Um, are we that much in control? Are we, are we somehow through, you know, we were talking about karma at the break, just through of, of this lifetime, we just happen to hear the Dharma and, and it works for us. And so we get to start looking at this stuff. People who have really hard judgment, um, forgetting that, you know, uh, 
that that control uh, that control piece that um, choice is an interesting thing. Uh, if we don't know we have the options, then do we really have choice? If we don't know that there is another way, do we just stumble on another way? Or how does that all work? So, self-compassion is compassion for others. A genuine pity. But to... Um, I have found that the core of my challenge with 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 change or control is 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 the need for a certain level of safety, uh, a certain level of being safe. Yeah. Might that be psychological safety or just having a certain need that needs to be met? And the journey for me, I've noticed, is a is a journey between doing and being. <laughs> You know, because, you know, uh, you can, I learned um, through wise people and through life experience that you need to act. You need to take the necessary action to manifest the reality that you want. It needs action and hard work and whatever that, but you also need to know when to stop. <laughs> you know, and th- that has been a hard lesson to learn in life, when to stop. Because you've done everything that you could do. And then you just leave it in the hands of the universe, whether it's meant to happen or not. <laughs> and it is that place when you, when you have done everything that you could do. And it is that moment when you have to let go. <laughs> that is the hardest part. <laughs> that is the hardest part. It's the waiting part, whether it's going to happen or not. <laughs> you know. And, um, and I think th- what I learned, and it's not easy, is, is it's, it's, it's practice. The more you practice it, the better it gets. But sometimes, like this week, um, I can completely lose my mind. Yeah, because when I want something so badly, because it has impact on my career or my work, and it's not happening, and I cannot control other people, you know, um, then it becomes really very challenging. Then you just have to sit with the disappointment, with the waiting, and with just letting go of the outcome. Anam Tupton talking about um, uh, ten, you know that that um, that discomfort that we find ourselves in the dukkha itself is something to um, you know we 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 aren't always in control of that either you know there's there's we can talk about you know letting go and and um, you know finding a different way of looking at things and sometimes what we have to do is just be in the dukkha of 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 that habit energy of of or the dukkha of not having things go the way we really think they should go and um and being in relationship with that that's that's a big part of this and it's uncomfortable but it's it is what's called for often yeah. I'm not sure we're having. <laughs> okay. Uh, so about six, maybe seven winters ago, um, I was plying my trade. I'm a retired teamster. And I was driving um, an 18-wheel 
uh, vehicle back from Chicago, and I and right about this time of the year, I was passing through Interstate 80 as it goes uh, out of Laramie. It slowly rises into the Rocky Mountains, and there's often less than favorable weather conditions there this time of the year. And by that time, I had been driving rigs that size for a couple of hundred thousand miles. And so I knew everything there was to know about how to drive in every weather condition. On a particular curve, all 18 wheels broke loose. And you know, you have a boat. You know how it feels when the boat drifts sideways? You're not quite sure how to make it not run into that pier, you know? That's only, only it's 75 feet long and weighs 100,000 pounds. Uh, I, I exaggerate, probably about 65,000 pounds. In that, I had been listening to a Dharma talk on my earphones about letting go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so appropriate. <laughs> and I didn't really know what to do. I didn't, there was nothing in my pre-existing skill set. You don't turn into a skid when the back of the trailer is going a different direction than the front trailer and the cab's going yet in a third direction. So I held onto the wheel loosely. I didn't completely give up the hope that I could affect the outcome. But I knew that I, it was much more likely that I would make a mistake if I gripped and gritted and slammed on the brakes. Moment. A couple of beats later, the situation righted itself, and I continued. <clears throat> I did not listen to the rest of that particular Dharma talk. <laughs> I put on some classical music and went real slow for the rest of the night. Um, this is a, a really good subject matter for me because I've been uh, trying to practice acceptance on a daily basis, a really deep, abiding acceptance of people, places, things that are out of my control. Um, and I struggle because uh, there's a lot of things that I just, I really don't want to accept. You know, my, um, my ego or my belief that things should be the way I want them to be. Just at some point, it just becomes pretty meaningless. So the antidote for the fear of, of being out of control is, is, is deep acceptance, and it's a real struggle. It, it is. It is, and there's steps, I think, to that deep acceptance and... and you know, so much of what's offered in the practice and a lot of different modalities too, but we're here, so we'll talk about this, this practice, that um, the continuing to go inward and pay attention to just what our relationship is to all of this. Um, notice how we hold it in the body. Notice where we feel stuck. Uh, notice how, um, you know, even the, the physical manifestation of hanging on, how that arises. Yeah, I, I'm thinking of you in that wheel. And how that, that really manifests, um, can manifest through the body and, 
and how that also can be felt in the mind and we just keep looking and sometimes letting go just happens you know we 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 it just happens oftentimes though it's a slow process and it and i find it works best if it's slow and gentle this gentle practice that is very engaged in the heart qualities um, so that that acceptance it's we don't want to add go from that kind of tightness here to then this prying open and and trying to let go <laughs> and and just all the tightness that that comes in with that and i'm i'm demonstrating it physically but it's also very much what happens in the mind and in the heart and ends up being sometimes a long a longer road um to that true letting go, that softening that can happen. So it is a process, but it, it, and I think that a gentle process is, is really the best route. And we're really lucky to have a lot of examples through um, the Dharma practice of how to do that. So thank you for your share. Ernie, here I'll turn this off. And I think. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Well, two things. One is when you were doing the uh, count, you know, the raising hands at the beginning, I didn't raise my hand. But what I realized is if I could really live at zero need for control, how happy I would be. <laughs> Just allowing the universe to be the way it is and let it flow and not get all kind of caught up in all that kind of stuff. I think that's the equanimity the Buddha is talking about, really. Right. I think that I kind of imagine that's how he lived is in that. He, he was at zero, I think. It's hard to know, but <laughs> it seems that way. I wasn't there either. <laughs> and the other, as you were talking, I was realizing how all the great wisdom traditions of the world have a teaching like this in some way. In the Hindu tradition, is something called the Mahabharata, where Krishna's come down to earth, and one of the things he says is, uh, do what you do and leave the fruits of your actions to me, which is what you're talking about. And in the uh, the Muslims have a word called maybe you know this called inshallah, which they use a lot. It translates as if God wills, and they will often say, "Yes, I'll meet you for lunch tomorrow." Inshallah, if God wills. <laughs> the Christians say, "Not my will, but Thy will, O Lord." The twelve-step programs. The first of the twelve steps is giving it over, letting go, <laughs> letting go of control, turning over to higher power. And they have a, one of the phrases is the. Let let go and let God, which works well in English because that's the way the you know, you know the letters work. So all these traditions have exactly the same kind of teaching with little different flavors to them. Not unique. Looking at a universal truth, it's not a Buddhist thing. We it, it's wonderful that we have practices within the Buddhist tradition that aim us to that, but it's not a. Buddhist thing at all. This is really, we're looking at humanity and a very universal truth. You know, thank you for that. And uh, we're, we're, we are at time. So um, we'll have to end there and, uh, and we'll dedicate the merit though together. Okay. So Taking time now to um, acknowledge the
the, the wholesomeness of coming here to practice, to talk about the Dharma, to listen to the Dharma. Uh, uh, that when we, when we do this, it has its own ripple effect that goes out into the world. And um, uh, when we come, we might come for ourselves, but it never is about us, just us. You know, when we are waking up our hearts and minds, it has an effect on uh, not just us, but the people in our lives, the people we're closest to, the people we interact with throughout the day, and beyond. And I truly believe it has ripple effects that go out in ways that we, we truly don't understand. And so in that spirit, we dedicate the merit um, to all beings everywhere. And then we'll name a few beings who are on your hearts and minds right now. Uh, to Jim, who's in rehab for another attempt at wellness. For Anna, who is suffering through some bad depression. Um, for my son Thomas, struggling with addiction and now homelessness. And for Joe, going through a difficult recovery following neck surgery. So keeping them and those who are unspoken uh, out loud, keeping them in our hearts um, and dedicating this to them as well as all beings everywhere. May all beings find that inner contentment and happiness. May all beings be safe from inner and outer harm. May all beings be healthy in their mind and in their body. May all beings be free. May we all be free.